Let's go ahead and grab a Bible. We're going to be in the book of Ruth again this morning. Part two of the book of Ruth. So again, uh, the book of Ruth is in the Old Testament. So if you are close to Judges or First and Second Samuel, Ruth will be smushed right in between uh, those books there. So Old Testament, Old Testament Ruth. way it rolls. Cowbell. <laughs> All right, Ruth chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 6. Uh, once again, last week, we've already seen that Naomi and Elimelech, right, they're a couple, they have two sons, Malon and Chilion, and they've decided to leave the land of promise, Bethlehem and Judah, Right, and go to this place called Moab, which was the land of compromise. Uh, you watch them take kind of the, the reins of life into their own hands. They lean on their own understanding. And what they do is they leave Bethlehem because there's famine, and they go to this sin city, if you will, the land of Moab, right, to, to find provision. They, they rest in their own understanding. They leave God's land, his promises, go into the land of compromise, and therein suffer the consequences, right? And so we see death come to this family. Um, and then it picks up in verse 6. Then Naomi, right? Mother Naomi. Then Naomi arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard of the field, she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord, Yahweh, deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord, Yahweh, may he grant that you find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi's standing her ground, right? She says to them, No, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Now remember, like, offspring was like life insurance. It was like your retirement plan. If you had offspring, then you were, you were, you were set, if you will, for the future. So she's saying, I can't provide you what you ultimately need. Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. 
return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord, Yahweh, now the Moabite woman is actually referring to God as Yahweh. May Yahweh do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord, Yahweh, has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. All right, let's pray. We'll jump into it. God, thank you. Thank you for stories, stories in which we can, in so many ways, map our own lives onto what's happening here. And it's in times of compromise, in times where we've turned our back on you, God, thank you. You do not turn your back on us. Thank you for a story like this where your faithfulness and your goodness and your covenant promises are seen even through the difficulties of these experiences. So God, thank you. We praise your name for being the one who is faithful. You don't let your people down. You are faithful to us, even when in some sense we let you down. You are good. So God, show us your faithfulness afresh this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do we do when we've walked the road of compromise? Right? When, when we found ourselves perhaps in some sort of sin again, or, or maybe it's not outright like, moral, you know, immoral things that we're doing, but, but maybe it's just the fact that you've, you've taken up the reins of life. You're leaning now on your own understanding, just like Naomi and Elimelech did. It wasn't as though this was like some grotesquely immoral thing that they were doing. It was just they were taking the reins of life into their own hands. They were leaning on their own understanding, and it led to compromise. It led to compromise. What do we do when we've walked that road of compromise? When we've found ourselves, once again, kind of taking up the reins of life? Um, as we've seen with Elimelech and Naomi, their compromise led to consequence. And that first section then closes out with with like for the ancient reader and the language that's being used there, you're, you're just screaming out for Naomi. Naomi, how much consequence must you suffer before you just head home? Just go home, Naomi. Go home. Go back to the land of promise. Put down your own understanding and trust in your Lord. Again, go back. 
That's the way, that's the way the text moves you, or should move you. Now, folks, isn't it true? Here's, here's an aside. Isn't it true that like that's the power of story? Right? When you when you watch a movie or something like that, it's pulling on your heartstrings in all different kinds of ways, and at times in in the most wrong ways. Uh, you know, I remember watching a particular show at one point, and it was this married couple who are having all these struggles, and then this woman is like looking at this guy from her past and visualize oh what could be. And 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 in the midst of it, your heartstrings are being pulled for her to actually be unfaithful to her husband and go have this relation. Your heartstrings are being pulled towards that. It's wrong. But that's what story does. It tugs on your heartstring. Or I don't know why this came to mind, but the John Wick. I haven't even seen I haven't seen any of John Wick. But what I know about it is it's bloodthirsty. It's about vengeance. It's about the shedding of blood, right? Getting back at the wrongs that have been committed. That's not a good thing, folks. Just to say it, it's going to pull your heart. What do, what do you, you know, even when I talk to the Grace for Youth kids, it's like when you watch these kind of movies, what do you want to go do? I'm going to beat somebody up. I want to go take vengeance into my own hands, right? That's what stories do. They pull and tug on your heartstrings, not necessarily in all the right ways. But this story, as we get through this first section, oh, why, why would God have a story that's pulling on our heartstrings? It's because God's actually trying to align your heart with his heart. You screaming out, Naomi, just go home, is actually what God is feeling. God is saying, oh, Naomi, just come home to me. Come know the good of my promises. Come know the good of my presence. Stop wandering off. Put down your own thinking and come and rest with me. Folks, the whole point of biblical story is that we would actually have our heart, heart cultivated in some way to share in the heart of God. And that's where this first section has brought us. It's brought us to a point and place of, of, of desiring the same things for what God desires, so that in your own life, when you have gone down that road of compromise, you can know, because of stories like this, that God's calling you home. He's a good dad saying, come back home. Come back home and know my security and know my promises and know my, but come back home to me. And when there's others who have walked that road of compromise, you can be one who steps in and says, oh, God wants you to come home. Come home. Folks, this is the beauty of this story. It is aligning our hearts with God so that when the road of compromise is walked, we might know God's own heart. He wants you to come home. And what do we find then in verse 6? Who's coming home? Naomi finally gets to the point where she's willing now to walk the road home. Right? Now, when we consider verse 6 and we see that Naomi has finally decided to return home, there is a particular word that stands out in the Hebrew 
and it's the word return. Return here is the Hebrew word shuv. Kind of like shove, but it's shuv. And it's the same word that's used throughout the Old Testament in reference to repentance. Repentance is that hallmark of the Christian life. We talk about repentance quite a bit. Repentance has the idea of walking one way, thinking one way, having desires for one thing, and now shuving. I'm turning. I'm having a change of mind. I'm having a change of heart. I'm, I'm taking the initiative to walk the other way. She has walked the road of compromise, and now it's time to return home. It's time to shuve home. It's time to go back to God. This is the story as, as we've come to now. She has this, this road, we could say, the road home is the road of repentance. She's demonstrating repentance even as she's decided now to go home. Folks, when it comes to our relationship with the Lord, it's really no different. In order to come to know Jesus, what does Jesus say? Repent, shuv, turn, have a change of mind, have a change of heart, put down your own understanding, and cling to me. Right? It's repentance and faith. And so the call of Scripture is to repent and trust Jesus. Coming to faith then isn't just giving mental assent to Jesus, but it's, it's actually the act of choice to abandon worldly thinking and philosophy and to be led by the truth of Jesus. It's a journey then of learning, not to learn, uh, lean on our own understandings, but on Jesus, to lean on him, and therefore shooting Repenting, having this turn, is not just the beginning of trusting in Jesus, but it's the way we live out this relationship. Always turning to him as we drift, turning back to him. As Martin Luther states it, he says it this way. He said, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. It's walking that road home. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance, right? The road home is really a road of repentance. As Naomi has re is returning home, she's now walking out this road of repentance. And I want to show you actually five quick lessons that we can learn from this road of repentance that Naomi is walking. The first lesson is this, repentance begins with a realization of God's goodness. Verse 6, Naomi heard while in the fields of Moab, she's working in the fields of Moab, that the Lord Yahweh had done what? He had visited his people. She comes to realize that the Lord Yahweh, this, the promise-keeping God, the covenant-keeping God, the God of steadfast, uncompromising love, he had visited his people. His goodness, his mercy was being realized by his people. And evidently, the hearts of the people were turning back to God as, as well. God was proving his Mercy, folks, let's not forget what Scripture says. It says it's God's kindness that leads us to what? Repentance. It's God's kindness, his goodness that leads us to repentance. It's oftentimes coming to know that rock-bottom consequence of our ways, and therein 
not presuming upon God's goodness as if we're deserving, but saying, oh God, I'm ready to throw myself upon your mercy lest your judgment come upon me. That's Romans chapter 2. It's God's kindness. It's the fact that he holds out mercy to us. It's the fact that he holds out grace to us. And, and, And he says, come to me, come to me and know me. Cast yourself upon my mercy. Naomi has heard that God is being merciful to his people, and therein it's time to go home and cast herself upon his mercy. Folks, just consider the goodness of God. Just consider his mercy upon sinners. Just chapters after Paul will state it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance he will rehearse the gospel saying, even while we were yet sinners, Christ did what? (laughs) He died for us. He died for us. He bore the penalty for us. And then Paul will a little bit later in in, in the book of Romans state in chapter six, where sin abounds, what abounds all the more? Grace. Oh, his goodness abounds. His grace abounds all the more. You can't out sin his grace. It's amazing. And that grace abounds. Why? A little further down in chapter 6. So that sin and compromise would not have dominion over you. Right? His grace isn't just there to like get you away from the consequences of your ways, but his grace is there to empower you to actually live a life in congruity to him. Right? Let his goodness lead us to repentance. I I came across Psalm 25 this past week. It has been a gem to me. It says this, good and upright is Yahweh. The covenant-keeping God. Good and upright is Yahweh. Therefore, because of his goodness, because of his justice, because he's covenant-keeping, therefore he teaches the sinner the way back home. (laughs) He says, come to me. I have mercy, I have grace for you. Folks, Naomi heard in the land of compromise that the Lord had visited his people. This was incredible. Repentance begins with a realization of God's goodness. That's the first lesson we see. The second lesson is this. (sighs) Repentance begins with God's goodness, but repentance, when it comes down to it, is a messy process. It is a messy process. So Naomi says, hey, ladies, we're, we're, we're heading home. And initially, then, the, the journey back home is with the daughters-in-law, right? But then, verse 8, Naomi, and we're not exactly sure as to what Naomi's thinking is in all of this, but in verse 8, Naomi comes to the realization that her decision to go back to Bethlehem, to the land of promise, isn't best for Ruth and Orpah. Again, we don't know exactly why, but it's it's certainly interesting. In verse 8 and 9, she tells them to go home to their pagan homeland. (laughs) It's so strange. And she blesses them, saying, May the promise-keeping God of Israel, Yahweh, deal kindly with you. The word kindly is actually the very terminology that God will use for his covenant-keeping steadfast love. Naomi's literally saying, go to Sin City, 
in order that you can experience the covenant-keeping love of God. You see, the, it doesn't make any sense what she's, what she's saying to them. She'll, she'll go on and say, may God grant you to, that you would find rest. Right? Rest from all your sufferings. Rest from all the strivings to figure out the future. May God meet you. In other words, Naomi is telling them again to go to the land of compromise and praying that they would find God there. It's so backwards. It's so backwards. Although Naomi herself has responded to the kindness of God, she, she is so horizontally focused. Her eyes aren't this way quite yet. They're still horizontally focused. She's still operating out of her own understanding. She's, she's still kind of like, you know, wielding her own wisdom. So in verse 11, we get a little explanation for why she's saying these things. Verse 11 and following states that Orpah and Ruth, they refused to go back home. And then Naomi explains, well, I could never provide a stable life for you if you come back with me. Like, I can't provide the things physically that you ultimately need. So you begin to see Naomi is circumstantially driven. It's all about the physicality of things. It's all about the, the physical future for these women. All she sees is the horizontal working of things, and that's why there's this strange irony of saying, just go back to the land of compromise and may God, the God of promise, meet you there. It's like saying, go to Sin City to find God. It doesn't make any sense. But it is all to say that repentance is not an event, but a process. It's a messy process at that. Where God's goodness may compel us, but, but God still often remains kind of small in circumstances loom big, We're, we still kind of are holding the reins of life in our own hand while beginning to take a turn back toward God. Repentance becomes, if you will, like a detox process. Right? You might be on the road to recovery, you might be on the road to detox, but you still have all the same backward thinking. Right? Your thinking needs to change, your ways need to change. You're still functioning out of your own pride and out of your own wisdom and out of your own understanding, still grasping on to the reins of life. And so it's important, folks, that as we think about change in our own lives, that we recognize that it is a process, not an event, and it is often a messy process at that. God pulling away layer after layer to really get down to the core of our hearts so that true, lasting, transformation can happen. Be aware, repentance is most often a long and even messy road to transformation. Don't think, just because you've made a decision, that it's, you know, sit, sit back and, like, let go and let God kind of stuff, like being passive about it. Now it's time to press in to the Lord, knowing this is going to be a journey now of repentance Naomi here, she's confused to say the least, but she's resolute in going home. She's resolute. Oh, she's, she's embracing the fact that, okay, this is, this is going to be a journey. Repentance is a messy process. The third lesson, then, is repentance is a personal decision. On the, on the flip side of all this confusion, 
right? Something really good is happening. <laughs> God's already at work in this mess. He's already at work in this mess, and, and, and he's at work despite all of Naomi's limitation, despite her confusion, right? Orpah and Ruth are brought to the point of personal decision. The, the question is, will they go back to the land of compromise, or will they follow Naomi into the land of promise? And we know the fallout of this. Orpah decides to head back to Moab, while Ruth the text says she will absolutely not let Naomi go. <laughs> Verse 14, the word is this, Ruth clung to Naomi. Right? There's, there's nothing that Naomi could say or persuade Ruth to, 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 to send her back. It was it, Ruth was dead set on clinging to Naomi. It's the very word that's used actually in Genesis chapter 2 to explain that of a marriage. You leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. It's the same word. Ruth is saying, like, there's nothing that's going to separate you from me, Naomi. I'm coming wherever you're going. But more to the point, it's, it's not just about, oh, this, that relationship. There's, there, there's more underneath that relationship that's happening that, is, that we need to recognize. Ruth comes more or less to a personal decision in these moments, not just to cling to Naomi, but to cling to Yahweh. So verse 16, she, she, Ruth is explaining, for where you go, I'm going to go, and where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. And, and now, now this becomes covenantal language, the very kind of language that God would use to explain his vows, his, his kind of covenant-keeping marriage-like vows to his people. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. And then she eventually says, and may the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. This, this is Ruth's conversion moment. She's brought to this personal decision. Ruth is not just clinging to Naomi, but at core, she's making a personal decision to cling to her God, Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. God. Ruth is getting saved, as it were, in these moments. Now, there's, there's so many things to say in this little section. Uh, Ruth is willing to walk this journey out with the Lord despite the fact that she most likely will lose out on all opportunities with her Moabite family. She's leaving family. She's leaving, as it were, security. She's leaving what she knows in her own land and her own culture. She's, she's leaving her small g gods to now follow after Yahweh. And, and she most likely then will face a level of rejection. A Moabite woman coming into a Hebrew town, she's going to face a level of rejection. She's going to face a level of shame, even among God's people. Sad but true. But it sounds so much like Jesus will say in Mark chapter 10. I love this text. Jesus says this. He says, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. 
houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. <laughs> I love that little insert. It's still going to be hard. With persecutions, but in the age to come, eternal life. And therefore, many who are first, they got all the religiosity just kind of figured out. I got God figured out. I'm the, I'm the one who's ultimately, those who are, they're going to be last. And the marginalized, those who would be second, those who would be kind of the, the Moabite kind of person, oh, they're going to be first. They will be honored by the Lord. And this, this is so gloriously seen. I mean, you just get your mind around what's happening here. This is a personal decision of Ruth clinging to God, but then God honoring her. Just think about this. It is a Gentile Moabite, and at that Gentile Moabite woman's name that now is, is the banner of this book in the Hebrew Bible. <laughs> this is incredible. Like, you, you, don't, you don't have this kind of stuff happening from, from kind of like a Hebrew mindset. No, we're, we're God's chosen people, and what does God do? He chooses, he chooses the Moabite Gentile woman, her name. He chooses her name to be the banner of this book centuries now to be known as Ruth. I mean, this is incredible that God is working in these ways, honoring her personal decision. And just to throw out the spoiler alert, you know, to where this story is actually going, God's going to honor Ruth in incredible ways, right? From Ruth comes eventually King David. It's exactly, in, in, in the context of the, that's exactly what God's people need. A godly king who are going to return God's people to a rightful place and rightful relationship with God. That's the blessing. Her line is blessed. King David will come. You know who's the offspring of Orpah? Ancient rabbinic literature says that Orpah becomes the great-grandmother of a family of four giants from Gath. One of which is Goliath. So you see, for the ancient reader, they're, they're seeing Ruth, and oh, from Ruth comes King David. And what does King David do? But he brings the giant down, right? Why? Because, oh, King David just needs to be emulated? No, because of the, the promise-keeping God who has chosen, who is so honored by Ruth's decision to come to him, God's now saying, I'm going to utilize you, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to make your line great. Jesus eventually comes through, and he's the one who eventually then kills the greatest enemy, brings the great giant down, sin and Satan, right? So you see God honor this personal decision of Ruth to say, yes, Naomi, I'm going to cling to you, but at core, I'm clinging to Yahweh, God rewards and honest, uh, honors her lavishly. Now, just a point of application before moving on. Folks, it's a personal decision to become, so to speak, one with God. You this is the phrase that just kept on coming to mind. You can't ride the coattails of another's repentance. I don't know how many times I've heard it in this context, Northeast Philly. Well, my, my, my parents were Catholic, so I'm kind of good. You know, I kind of like sneak in the door kind of a thing. And it's to say, no, 
No, God, you're not riding the co coattails of anyone, right? It, just because your, your family is religious doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. I hear it, I hear it again and again. Well, I've just kind of always known God. Well, no, you haven't. You haven't always known God. There's a personal decision of repentance, of shoving, where I'm saying, I've walked my religious walk, and now I need to realize I actually have walked that without God. And I need to turn to him. I need to drop all sense of like my own wisdom and my own religiosity and lay it at the altar in order to turn and say, I must cling to Jesus or I have nothing. It must be a personal decision. If, if it's a spouse, if your spouse can't repent for you. If it's a boyfriend, girl, you can't repent for one another. It's got to be a personal decision before the Lord to turn to him and cast yourself upon his mercy, just like Ruth did. Folks, yeah, I got to keep moving. The fourth, the fourth lesson is this, that repentance is a fight of faith. In, in verse 19, uh, the two of them finally reach Bethlehem, and, and it says the whole town was stirred because of them. You know, and in some sense, this was expected. Naomi heading home, Ruth, this Moabite woman, coming with her. They, they knew all the eyes would kind of be on them at this point, right? They, there, there, there would not, that road of repentance would not be quietly walked out. It's important to note. I'll, I'll just kind of say it bluntly and without qualification. Repentance that isn't quiet is usually repentance that lasts. That's why scripture will say, confess your faults one to another. Why? Because, you know, we're, we just got to put all our dirty laundry out there? No. It's because that God knows if you're not willing to, like, take your dirty laundry and actually, like, place it before others, you probably haven't placed it before God. You haven't brought it into the light. It doesn't mean that it needs to be a grand announcement before the whole church. It just means that you need to bring other people into those struggles so that they're, they're aware that they know that they can bring wisdom to your heart to point you to Jesus. Those who play it safe and say, well, I'm, I'm not too sure that I want to share any of this with anyone because they actually might look at me, you know, different or they might look down on me or they might react to me. Folks, that's not a biblical response. It's not a biblical response to con be concerned with how others perceive me in my failings is not a biblical response. You should fear the Lord before you fear others, in other words. Right. But you should have a trusting community. A few brothers and sisters in the faith where you say, yeah, I, I need to talk through. I need to bring this into the light with you to know and keep accountability on my heart that I'm not holding anything away from God. So as you see then this story kind of continue to unfold, people are questioning, is this Naomi? You know, and, and, and Naomi's response is what? <laughs> no, shut your mouths. Don't, don't call me Naomi. Why? Well, Naomi's name means pleasant or lovely, right? So literally people are coming up to them in the Hebrew, it would be understood and known, that they're, they're, they're crying out to her, is this loveliness? Is this pleasantness? Has she returned, right? And Naomi's like, no, 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 no. It's me, but don't call me Naomi. Don't call me lovely. Don't call me pleasant because I am Mara, which means bitterness. I am bitter. And why am I, why am I bitter? Well, it, it's because verse 20 and 21 
oh, this is so important when you think about repentance as a fight of faith. It's a journey of faith that you don't have to fight through. She, she's wrestling with aspects about God. And what is she wrestling uh, with? But the idea that she says in verse 20, the almighty El Shaddai. That's like, if there's, if, if there's a name that would reference God's sovereignty and his bigness, it's here. God, is the, the great God has dealt very bitterly with me. And then she uses another name for God, Yahweh. So the great God and the capital L-O-R-D. And the Yahweh, the promise-keeping God, the great God and the good God, has brought me back empty. I just, I, I just want to, folks, can we fight like that? It's a fight of faith. It's been a hard journey for her. She's still in the depths of her grief and all the loss that she's experienced. But what she, she has the categories right, at least. She's not saying about God's, God's greatness. Well, oh, you know, he just didn't know that this would happen. And, you know, he really doesn't have control over all things. And he just kind of fell asleep at the wheel. And he doesn't really know what's happening. This surprised God as much as it surprised you. No. Didn't surprise God. He is great. He is the El Shaddai. And. Although I come back empty, I'm still going to claim him as the good God. The God who will keep his promises to me despite how much I may wander from him, despite what suffering I may go through. She is fighting to know her great and good God. Right? And she says it, it's, it's, it's like she says it all over again. As it unfolds, the Lord, Yahweh, has testified. Literally, it's the idea that he's brought a legal case against me. Like, he caught me. <laughs> he got me. You know, we compromised. And, and the promise-keeping God has been true to his promises. We've endured the consequences of it. But now we're coming back trusting that there's going to be blessing from his hand. And the Almighty has brought calamity upon us. She's wrestling with the right stuff. She's wrestling with God's greatness. She's wrestling with God's goodness. Folks, again, the point simply being that repentance is a fight of faith. You can't turn to God without wrestling with who he is. If he's not sovereign and if he's not great, well, then you're going to be tempted to just pick up your own understanding once again, trust in your own ways, right? And if he's not good, you're going to be sitting back, kind of keep it, keeping him at a distance. Oh, I... I, I, I I, I can't get too close to him because his goodness may not be that good. Folks, she's wrestling with the right stuff. At core, repentance is a fight of faith. And folks, if, if I could say it this way, Naomi has a lot of shortcomings, but she's battling well. She's fighting well. Now, finally, the final lesson that we learn is this, is that repentance is never walked alone. It's never walked out alone. It's important that as chapter one kind of closes out that you see the bookends of this whole chapter. Naomi left the land of promise with plenty in time of famine. She left with a husband. She left with sons. Things were looking good. She, she left with plenty in a time of famine, and now Naomi is returning to the land of promise, right? Empty, but in a time of harvest. It's, it's, it's tipping us off 
to where the story is now leading. It's something of like, as you, as you le- read it from a literary standpoint, it's something of a ground, like God's moving. Like we can't quite see how God is working in all this, but it's a groundswell. It's like God behind the curtain, ready to do some wonderful work. God is moving, but he's acting so subtly behind the curtain in these moments. He is setting the stage for lavish blessing. And one aspect of that blessing, Naomi doesn't exactly even recognize it at this point, but God's doing the work. It's incredible. Verse 22, they, Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite with her. She's not walking home alone. She's not on this journey alone. Even for this journey home, God is granting Naomi a friend. He's granting her a friend in Ruth. Ruth's name, can you guess? What's it mean? Friend. (laughs) Naomi has a friend who is walking beside her. You see, it's so subtle, but it is something of the lavish faithfulness of God displayed to Naomi that he would provide her a true friend for the journey home. Folks, do you know that the road home, the road of repentance, is never walked alone? It's never walked alone. You do have a friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, a friend who says, oh, I will not leave you, I will not forsake you, I will not leave you as an orphan. There is a friend, as Hebrew says, that is not ashamed to call you brother or sister, even though you're in this messy process of repentance. He's not too busy to, for you. He's not preoccupied. He's, he, he's never on vacation somewhere disconnected for, from you. No, it's Jesus who says, I no longer call you servants to just be busy bodies doing this religious stuff, but actual friends. He is our friend on this journey of repentance. Repentance is never walked alone. You have a friend. And who's the true friend but the almighty one, the covenant-keeping God who will not give up on you but will bring you home. The work that he's begun in you, he will finish it. Right? This is who our God is. Oh, this is part of that Psalm 25 that I've just been enjoying so much. Just listen to the words. The friendship of the covenant-keeping God, Yahweh, is for those who fear him, and he will teach them his covenant. This is what he's saying. I want to be your friend in this journey of transformation and change. I will, I will walk with you. I will be with you. Oh, yeah, it's a messy process. And it's a personal decision. Yes, and it's a fight of faith. But folks, take hope. We will never walk this road of repentance alone. We will always have a true friend in Jesus. We need to go right into communion. The fact that we have a friend on this journey of repentance The fact that we have a friend, we must also see that it's come at great cost, right? He hasn't just become our friend to just kind of sit back and on 
unconditioned, be like, well, I'm really not jiving with you today, so like, hey, like I'm going to give you a little distance. He's given of himself, his body and blood, he's made the sacrifice necessary to constantly and forever be bound to you as a friend. So even when you are in your ignorance in the land of compromise, <laughs> he's actually with you. And when you finally are recognizing something of his goodness and beginning the journey back, you know, of repentance, like he's with you. And when you're messing up and you're confused and you're still holding on to your own wisdom, he's with you. He is with you, he is with you, and he will never forsake you. It's come at great expense to himself. He's bound himself to you. Not to just conditionally kind of come and go based on how you're doing, but to forever be with you. Repentance is a road we can walk. Why? Because he's given himself. He's a friend. <laughs> he's laid down his life for us so that the road can actually be a real road and we wouldn't be stuck in our sins. For while we were yet sinners, he died for us to provide us a way back to heaven. So let's go ahead and stand. We're going to come forward. I'm going to ask the, the, the musicians to jump up during this time as well. And we'll close in our final song. But we'll take the elements at our seats, remembering, remembering that Jesus is our friend. Go ahead and come forward. You can take this at your seat. Again, remembering, remembering Jesus, your friend. He's with you. He's with you through that journey. He's come at great cost to himself. upon Ruth being a king who would come to rule the people well. As soon as he mentioned that, I began to think, death and taxes, death and taxes. That is what we know in this life, in this world. And as people would say, that's the only thing you can be certain of. But I want to read 
reject that. I want to state the truth that in the kingdom of Jesus, the only thing we can be certain of is life and lavish gift giving. Have you ever read Ephesians 1 from the Message Bible? It says, from long, long ago, God has planned to adopt you into his family so that you might experience the celebration of his lavish gift giving. Jesus is the king who does not collect taxes from us. He will never collect taxes from you. He calls us to sacrifice, yes but not the sacrifice of giving taxes to him because he has paid the price to bring you into his family and his family is one where you receive lavish gifts again and again for all of eternity. And so that, that's the king that was born through the line of Ruth. That's the king that we worship this morning. So as we close, we're going to sing Boldly I Approach. We can boldly approach the throne of that king who lavishly gives to you. And so picture that when we sing, this is the art of celebration. We are celebrating better than any Christmas or birthday celebration. <coughs> Being in God's family is a celebration of his lavish grace and gift giving.
by way of benediction, I want to step away from what we planned to just read this text over you. It says, good and upright is Yahweh the Lord. Therefore, he instructs the sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right and teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. So for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His, his soul shall abide in well-being and his offering, offspring shall inherit the land. For the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he makes them known. He makes known to them his covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord. For he will pluck my feet out of the net. So, Lord, we often find our feet tangled up in nets. When compromise comes, when we lean on our own understanding, we often find that the way becomes complex and it comes with consequence. So, God, we pray that you would break the fetters off our feet, <laughs> that you would teach us your, your way that we would know something of your friendship, that we would know the blessings of your covenant promises, and that we would fight the good fight of faith, to cling to you, to trust in you, to lay our own understanding aside in order that we might not lean on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you, that you might direct our paths. What a God of mercy you are. What a God of mercy. We thank you for it. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf, that this journey home might be a journey of celebration rather than condemnation. Even as we meet then again this evening, O oh God, would the good news of your mercy and grace be celebrated afresh. Fall upon our hearts. Fall upon our hearts. For those who are away from home, lead them home. The prodigal of heart, lead them back to you, O oh God. Do a work among us even this evening. We will come with expectation to again celebrate your goodness, but also know something again of the path that you've put before us. We praise you, we bless you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Grace and peace to you all. Hope to see you tonight.